Welcome to What Have We Learned? I'm Ben Punter. This episode is Natalia Watson, who's a beer sommelier, a Cicerone, and she's one of the leading beer experts. She currently has her own podcast called A Beer With Nat, where she talks to women in the industry. And you can find her on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. It's Beer With Nat, all one word, Beer With Nat. Uh, In this episode, we talk about becoming an expert, pairing beer styles, the process, the industry, the podcast, and her book. It's a, brand, it's a brand new book. It's called Beer, Taste the Evolution in 50 Styles. It's a taster guide through the history and the evolution of beer. It's available now, and it's released on March 19th, but we recorded this episode back in February, and you can find it at beerwithnat.com. Uh, this episode was recorded downstairs at Brewdog in Soho. This is What Have We Learned with Natalia Watson. Nat, hello. Hello. Welcome. Thank How are you? you. Yeah, I'm doing well. I've got a beer, so what I'm great. Drink? What are you drinking? Uh, I have the Colonel Beer de Saison Sour Cherry, which is a really lovely afternoon beer. I'm really enjoying it. A little bit of tartness, quite refreshing, not too heavy on the body, and just very spritzy. It's reminding me of spring, which I know will be here someday, so I, I look forward to that. And this is kind of the thing that you do. That you, this is your... This is your kind of your main MO. You are one of the UK's leading beer experts, right? Yeah, I probably should have given a more thoughtful description than that. I was just kind of like, oh, I'm in the mood. I'm enjoying the beer. But one of the things I actually find uh, quite frustrating about beer is that a lot of us use words that don't really mean anything mm. to people who aren't in the beer world. Such as? Uh, like I just said there, oh, talking about the body of the beer. I think a lot of people don't know what that means. If you're a wine drinker, perhaps you might know. Uh, so I've just started doing a series of videos where I explain some of these terms in words that make sense. So thinking about the body, for example, it would be something like, is it, you know, thin like water or full like milk? Okay. So for me, this is a bit lighter in body, a little bit more like a water than the intensity of something like an imperial stout that could be quite heavy or like a really robust red wine. Yes. So that's why it feels quite spritzy and light and spring-like. Mm. And of course, the sour cherry, and it's got this beautiful pink hue. Yeah, it just looks like spring to me. So I'm enjoying it. Does it taste like spring? Yeah, I think so. You know, when you walk around and you can just start to see those buds of color Mm -hmm. and you know that like the bleak gray of winter is going and that little hint of color is coming back into our lives, that's what this beer is for me right now. And we're recording this at uh, Brewdog in Soho. So cheers. I've got a a dead pony. Cheers. There we are. Hey. (laughs) That sounded great. (laughs) So you need to excuse my ignorance because there are two words that are connected to what you do that for some reason my brain cannot say them. Sommelier mm-hmm. and Cesarone. It's all right, I say sommelier wrong as well. Mm-hmm. It's technically sommelier. Okay. I don't speak French. I'm not gonna <laughs> pretend like I do. So I say sommelier mm-hmm. um, and then Cicerone is the other word, I suppose. And for those who don't know what those words mean, can you explain what those words mean? What are they? Yes, so sommelier is, uh, was initially used as a wine term, so it was to describe individuals in the wine profession, uh, particularly those involved in service. So it, it has now been uh, used to describe beer professionals who do something similar. Uh, so really the idea is that we are individuals who know a lot about how beer is made, Uh, And then we can communicate the flavors to different people to help them find a beer for them, tell them the history of certain beer styles, tell them about beer and food pairing. So it's this role that we're not the ones making the beer, but we're the ones who can help you find the beer for you by helping bring the flavors to life, essentially. You're almost kind of like the... 
the the face, not the face of the beer, but sort of like the, the kind of the promotional face of like the shopkeeper yeah. of of the beers, basically in some way. Yeah, the the role. So I think both of the terms uh, have kind of an origin in the idea of being a guide, almost, mm-hmm. uh, particularly with Cicerone, that is about being a guide and guiding people through beer options that are available today. And the Cicerone um, certification program, that was started in 2008 in Chicago by a man named Ray Daniels, who's worked in the beer profession for a long time as a brewer and author. Um, So the Beer Sommelier is administered here in the UK through the Institute of Brewing and Distilling's Beer and Cider Academy. And then the Cicerone certification program is based in the US. They have similar aims to really educate beer professionals on beer knowledge and tasting ability, Um, but they sort of have slightly different audiences. And now, I would say the Beer Sommelier is quite UK-focused okay. in terms of recognition, while the Cicerone certification program was very US-focused, but they're really pushing to get global reach and recognition. And so how do you go from... How, how does someone start to become a sommelier? So for the Beer Sommelier program here in the UK, you take three courses at the Beer Insider Academy. They offer them in London, they offer them in Sheffield as well. And they're three day-long courses. One's on the foundations of beer, the other's on the advanced course, and then the next is how to judge beer. Mm -hmm. So from there, you will be learning from a fellow beer sommelier and we'll talk to you about how we taste, uh, different types of beers, again, the history of these beers, Uh, You'll go into how to judge beers, so learning off flavors, so what happens if something goes wrong in the Mm -hmm. brewing process. Uh, And then we do beer and food pairing as well. So essentially the courses are for about 15, 16 max. So it's a day-long experience and you taste through loads of different beer styles. And I've met new friends in the industry through them. They're a really lovely way to spend the day. Um, So after you take these three courses, then you need to do some work on your own to prepare what's called a portfolio of evidence. So showing that you have hosted beer tastings so that you have knowledge of beer. Um, And then after that, you can then apply to sit your beer sommelier assessment. Mm -hmm. It's a tough one. (laughs) It involves a blind tasting of 15 different beers. Wow. uh, Identification of five off flavors. And then you also then need to talk through the beers as you identify them. So it comes in rounds of three beers at a time. Mm -hmm. Three beers are placed in front of you. You then need to try all of them guess what style you think it is, suggest a possible alcohol content, suggest a possible food pairing, and then keep doing that round after round after round, and then identify the off flavors as well. So... How do they then? How do they put off flavors into it if it's a judging process? Yeah. So the way that the off flavors um, come into practice is essentially there's a company that will make these spikes, and they are food grade <laughs> compounds. So we're talking about compounds like, for example, one's called diacetyl, and it's got this very buttery or butterscotch flavor, right. and that comes from it's naturally produced by yeast during fermentation, but sometimes the yeast will go back in and clean it up on its own if you give your beer enough time to process. Yeah. Sometimes if you rush the <laughs> production and you don't give the beer enough time to condition, then this buttery flavor will remain in the beer instead of being cleaned up by the yeast. Um, So we can then put this compound, diacetyl, into normal beer that you buy at the shop so that you then know what it tastes like, so that if you do find it in the wild, as I like to say, then you know how to spot it and what might have caused it. And so for the the beer you have now, what would pair well with that? Oh, wow. What would I say would pair well with this? It's a, it's challenging sometimes with sour beers. So this one has a bit of acidity because it has some sour cherries in it. Um, but sometimes actually 
pairing it with something that has fruit as well right. can be quite nice. Okay. But on occasion, that can have the two flavors cancel each other out yeah. if they're too similar. Um, sometimes with a really strong and punchy, pungent sour beer, a blue cheese can be really good. Okay. Because the blue cheese is very salty, very rich, and very fatty. And the acidity and the alcohol in the beer then helps to cut through that. So it kind of scrubs the cheese off your palate and allows you to go back for more of both. And then what about this? So this is a Dead Pony uh, Punk IPA. Yeah, so the Dead Pony is your sort of more accessible um, version of the Punk IPA, which is very hot forwards. This is a pale ale. Um, I mean, I was going to say Mexican food. Not that Mexican food is great in this country, but even something like a burger. Mm -hmm. So it works just really well with your everyday meal because... <clears throat> so we've got the nice sort of caramelly malt flavors that are coming in from the malt that they're using, which is malted barley that gives the beer that beautiful amber color. So you'll pick up a little bit of sweetness initially, and then you get loads of hot bitterness. Mm -hmm. And the bitterness is what's then going to help cut through any fat of whatever you're eating. So if you're eating a hamburger, it will just slice right through that. Yeah. But then it pairs nicely with the breadiness of the bun. Yeah, so it's about that. working the angles. So it's about finding flavors that work well together and then about finding... Um, ways to then use the properties of the beer like the bitterness which is quite unique to then help cut through any heaviness of a dish awesome so how do you get what's what's your origins what's the background here how do you get to the point where you start this uh, where you're this geeky about beer well i suppose so yeah but i, I wouldn't say geeky but i'm like but passionate about it so like what what were you doing before the sommelier program so before beer i worked for an organic baby food company mm -hmm. doing marketing before that, how I got there. Uh, so yeah, I've had a very roundabout way into beer, essentially. Um, so I grew up in Northern Ireland. Um, my family moved to California when I was eight, so I did all of my schooling, finished my schooling in the States. So I went to UCLA and I studied microbiology. And then I thought I was going to save the world from infectious disease. Mm -hmm. I realized uh, after working in a lab there and taking all my courses, I loved what I was learning, but I wasn't actually very good at doing the science. I was much better at talking about it. So I would be working with these amazing minds in the research labs that I was a part of. And I just couldn't figure out what questions to ask next to carry on the research. If they told me what I had to do and why we were doing it, that all made sense. But figuring out what came next, that, that just wasn't the spot for me. Someone else was thinking that way. But I kind of found myself in this weird position where I was able to understand everything the scientists were saying, but then translate it to non-scientists so I could go home to my family who weren't necessarily in the same world as me and explain to them what I was doing and why it was interesting. Mm. So um, I did apply for a PhD program and I went for the interview. I got a free trip to, to Baltimore to go have an interview at Johns Hopkins, which was quite cool. And uh, I didn't end up getting accepted. But I did get accepted to their master's program. And at the same time, I had applied for some other master's programs. So I decided then my focus, instead of doing the research, was going to be moving into the public health space and talking about it. So moving more into science communications. So I then went to get my master's in public health at UC Berkeley. Uh, my focus there was on food safety and nutrition. And I had a particular interest in um, foodborne illness. I don't know why that really captured me, but I think it was kind of around the time when The Omnivore's Dilemma came out uh, by Michael Pollan, and there was this uh, documentary called Food Inc., and there was just a lot of interest and in sort of investigation into the U.S. food system and, and the many problems with it. So that, that gripped me, that fascinated me. Um, so I was in a infectious disease and vaccinology program. Yeah. So some of my friends were, you know, are doing very different things than the food safety world than I, that I was in. 
But from there, I then, uh, it was a two-year program. We had to do an internship in the middle. So I moved to Washington, D.C. I worked for the Center for Science and the Public Interest as their food safety policy intern, thinking I wanted to get into government, mm. try and make changes in the food safety system <laughs> in the U.S. and maybe work at the FDA or the USDA. And there I learned that it's so slow and so difficult to make policy change that the real way to make a difference in the market was actually by business as opposed to through government policy. So I came back to school, finished my last year with this real focus on, okay, I want to work for a business that's doing things right and that cares about food safety and nutrition. So I ended up at an organic baby food company. Right. Uh, and they are really the place. New parents are very concerned about what their children are eating and getting them started on the right path. And then safety, of course, is paramount. So again, I found myself in this spot of being the person who was able to talk to the quality assurance team, use my microbiology degree, use my knowledge of the science, but then translate that to consumers and say, our products are safe because you had a concern. Here, let me explain it to you why you don't need to be concerned. We add in this ingredient for the nutrition for this reason. These are the studies that we've looked at. Because there is that element of the marketing part from the... Working with, the, working with the scientists in the lab and explaining it to non-scientists and working with the baby foods and explaining it to parents uh, about the baby foods, but then also working with the beer to explain the beer to non, non-experts at the same yeah. time. Yeah, so again, the transition from baby food to beer was really following a passion. I had friends in grad school introduce me to beer. I moved to New York for this. I, I moved there. I had a friend who lived there, and I ended up getting the baby food job once I moved there. Uh, but... She was in dental school and had very long hours, and I didn't see much of her. Um, so beer was kind of my, you know, my best friend mm-hmm. in New York. I would go and visit all these different breweries and bars and really got connected to this amazing community of people who are also fellow beer geeks. Yeah. Um, and yeah, after three years there at the baby food company and kind of getting into beer as a hobby, I decided I would see if I could make it my profession. Um, and knowing it would be a big change, going from a salaried <laughs> nine to five to starting from the bottom and working my way up, I decided I would use my British passport. I'd moved to London. I moved in with two of my cousins. I slept on their for- floor for many months yeah. and got my start at Mother Kelly's, which is a bar in East London. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, from there, I kind of worked my way up into a marketing role at Duval, the Belgian brewery, and then went on my own, set up my own business as a beer educator. But yeah, it's, it's looking back and realizing this whole time I've been doing that same thing. Being a person with one foot in both worlds and being able to translate technical information in a way that makes sense to non-experts. So is there a, this is going to be a terrible question and and feel free to edit. If you don't want to answer this, you can. I can edit this out. This is a terrible question, but is there a beer style that you have struggled to maybe latch on to or to to enjoy? Mm. Because I think, so for me personally, I still struggle with porters. Oh, interesting. I Why I, is that? I, I'm not sure. I've tried... So Guinness is kind of like the, the commercial porter in some ways. Um, uh, well, stout, technically. Yep. Um, but everyone I know who we go drinking with, when they see a porter, they go, ooh, a, porter, a chocolate porter or a coffee porter. Yeah. They lose their minds. And they go, do you want to try some? I'll try some. Don't like it. Don't know why. I just can't... My palate just can't take it. Are you a coffee drinker? No. I think that might have something to do with it. Mm-hmm. So uh, porters and stouts, these days they're kind of hard to define the difference. Initially, stout was a stouter kind of porter. So it used to be a stronger, more robust porter. Mm -hmm. Um, These days they can be similar in ABV. They don't necessarily need to be, the stout isn't going to be stronger than a porter. 
usually the flavors will just be slightly more intense with um, more of a bitter character to it that comes from using very dark black malts yeah. that add in that sort of espresso flavor that you might find in coffee. So I would say that probably has something to do with it, that if you're not much of a coffee drinker and you don't really like those bitter flavors, then maybe that's why you're not enjoying it in the beer. But it could also be perhaps then that you like, you know, the, the more hop forward character that comes from the pale ale that you have here. So whether mm. it's those citrusy aromas or that piney character that you find in uh, something like a Sierra Nevada pale ale, to each their own, you mm. know? We all have different levels of flavor perception yep. and we all have different flavor preferences. Yeah, so like a pale ale or like a fruity kind of craft hop beer. Yeah. Always kind of like, like my simple person skill is I can walk into a bar and I can see what they've got and whatever they've got, which is new, which has kind of got something like a fruit beer, I can go, that one. And I will try other beers and I won't, I will like, no, I found my default, it's that one. Yeah. I can find my default beer for the night to go, yeah. oh, that one there. That is a skill, yeah. yeah but for it, me, I'm like, can I try a sip of this? Can I try a sip of this? Yeah, I don't know, I'll, I'll absolutely, I'll try other stuff. I'm like, no, no, the first one was the best one. Yeah. I'm good at finding my great first beer for the rest of the day. Yeah. So are there, is there a style that you have, you either not, not don't enjoy, because I wouldn't, wouldn't want a bad name styles and beers because it's, it's your whole profession <laughs> but is there like a style that you maybe has taken the longest to kind of go oh that's to a hard get that's into a, yeah yeah well so for for beer sommelier uh kind of the styles are grouped together mm -hmm. so i would say you know maybe there's closer to about 30 styles that they want you to know well uh, that could potentially appear on the exam when it comes to the Cicerone program, they use a different set of styles from a homebrew organization, uh, which is called the Beer Judge Certification Program. Mm -hmm. And BJCP has about 100 beer styles on there. So very niche, very specific. Uh, and we're talking about the differences between something like Irish stout versus American stout oh, versus wow. Imperial stout. So while you may discuss stouts on Beer Sommelier, the Cicerone goes into all these finer details. Uh, so I have tasted all of these beer styles while preparing for my exam, particularly for the latest one, the Advanced Cicerone. Um, and I would say the thing, the styles I like least are the stronger beer styles. So something like a barley wine, which is usually between 8 and 12% ABV, I tend not to go for those things. Mm. Not that I want to drink in volume, but typically when there's more alcohol, there's also a little bit more residual sugar. Mm. So it feels a bit heavier on the palate. It tastes a bit sweeter. So I think I like things that are a little bit more refreshing, perhaps slightly higher alcohol content, or sorry, higher, lower, um, I mean, yeah. yeah, lower alcohol content and slightly higher carbonation. Yep. Um, because, and again, I think I like my beers to be quite spritzy and refreshing uh, as opposed to the, you know, something like a barley wine, which is a wintertime sipper. <laughs> so if it's a really cold night and you're by a fire and you just want a, you know, a third of a pint that you can nurse over a while, I think I would drink it then. But regularly, it's not my go-to. So, and then you got, you were recently awarded the Advanced Cicerone? Yes. So what's the process for that? Yes, so for the Cicerone certification program, there are four levels. Uh, the first one is Certified Beer Server, and that one's an online exam that you take, and that sort of starts you getting familiar with the syllabus and the topic areas covered. And then you move on to Certified, which is level two, Advanced, level three, and Master, which is level four. And the Cicerone certification program, again, is for beer professionals, and uh, it focuses on beer knowledge and tasting skills. So 
It covers five topic areas. You look into keeping and serving beer. So essentially, how do you store beer? How do we serve beer uh, through kegs? And so you need to understand everything about the draft dispense system and mm -hmm. the pressures and, and restriction. Loads of math in that one. Um, but it is doable. I don't want that to put anybody off. But it's just <laughs> fascinating thinking about, you know, how we deal with the, the carbonation in a beer and how you make sure it gets served correctly, things like that. Uh, then we talk about beer styles. Again, over 100 to get familiar with. Um, the flavor and flavor communication. So how do we taste? How are the different um, signals processed by the brain? Then we talk about beer ingredients and the brewing process, and then finally beer and food pairing. So those are sort of the five pillars. And then as you progress level two, three, and four, you need to know them in greater detail each time. And the exams get longer. The certified is a half day exam three hours of essays, then, Ooh. yep, a 45-minute tasting portion, which is identifying different styles, and then identifying flaws in beer, so those off flavors again, yeah, yeah. and then uh, a demo. So you, you may need to demo some aspect of how to wash a glass or how to change a keg or how to <laughs> clean a coupler, um, so those sorts of things. And then for the advanced, it's a day-long exam, so you do that same thing twice, so two three-hour sections of essays, two uh, tasting components, and two oral interviews. So again, you sit across from the assessor yeah. and they'll ask you about a beer style or ask you about beer and food pairing and you just rhyme off everything you can for 10 minutes. And then the master is a two-day exam. I have not gone for that level yet. I'm not sure I will. There are 19 people in the world who have passed the master exam. Wow. So it's really, really, really you know, incredible level of expertise that's required to get there. Um, and then for the advanced, there's 136 who have passed it. I'm one of nine here in the UK. Uh, so yeah, it was definitely difficult, but one of the things I love about beer, knowing then that I wanted to get a PhD in the past and realizing, oh, I just don't think that way, you know, maybe this isn't for me. When I discovered my love of beer and discovered the Cicerone program, I thought, this will actually allow me to become a beer expert and yeah. really prove my expertise. I know, like, I know the phrase "doctor of beer" is not a thing, but it, <laughs> it's the clo it feels like it's the closest thing to it. Yeah, yeah. to really get. Yeah, it is. I'm sure for master again, not that I've gone for that level yet, but feeling like you may have gotten a PhD in beer yeah. essentially. Yeah, but like you're an expert in your field, and you, it's not just you think you're an expert. No, no, Someone's I'm a qualified. Yeah, and like you have literal certificate yeah. from a body to prove it yeah well. and there are you know some some conversations and concerns at the cost um with going for an exam like this it is an expense mm -hmm. but for me um so for the certified when I, I was working at duval at the time and they helped to cover some of the costs for that and for the beer sommelier as well and for the advanced i covered the cost of that one myself because for me it was just so important to say i've been held to a standard i know my stuff these people have held me to that standard yeah. and yes now i can hold up that diploma and say yes i am a beer expert which i'm still like owning that word mm -hmm. it, it is hard to i think claim an expertise um but it's more about me getting confident with it because i know i've passed the exam so i no one should have an issue with it. It's more about me being confident in asserting my expert level, my yeah. expert status. And we, we, just before we started recording, we were talking about you're doing a, th uh, a presentation on the science. Yes. So, so this, this kind of like feeds back into like the the lab ele ele elements of it and the science of it as well. And the, the it comes back around to like the PhD stuff as well. Yep. So being a bit of a geek, just loving science and science communications in particular, um, I am a member at the Royal Institution of Great Britain, which mm. is this amazing organization on uh, Albemarle Street. 
and their focus is science communications. So they bring in all of these experts to help better explain science to the public so that people can learn about it and engage with it. And I went to a talk there on the science of cheese back in September. <laughs> and at the end of it, I asked, you know, would you be interested in doing a talk on the science of beer? And they said, oh, that's great. Our team would love to put that on. You know, where do we find the expert? And I just raised my hand and said, I'll do it. So having been to several talks there before and kind of knowing <clears throat> and knowing what what they expect and what they, you know, want to present. Uh, I'm putting a talk together on how to taste beer. We're going to go into uh, what beer is made from, how each ingredient contributes flavor, a bit about the brewing process, and taste for beers as well. Does that include things like the reaction between the taste of food and the taste of beer and that kind of re chemical reaction in the mouth between the two things? I'm not it... going to go into beer and food pairing, okay. but we're going yeah. to talk about, yeah, the understanding, of the difference between. So again, even uh, something like flavor is fascinating mm. to me. So flavor is a combination of aroma and taste. We only have five basic tastes, yep. but we can pick up on thousands of different aromas. Mm -hmm. And together, that's what creates flavor. So many combinations in one go. Exactly. Yeah. And so then it's how do we understand what our you know brain is processing in terms of these different signals. So recently I went to the Dodo and I met with uh, Lucy Doe, who you've had on your podcast. Yes. And she, we, did, we, did, we did this interview. I don't know the time. I don't know when this episode comes out. It's a, either an upcoming episode or it's a previous episode. Uh, Lucy has a question for you. Oh, dear. Okay. Um, <laughs> Lucy's question was, what are the challenges you have faced being a woman in the beer industry. Oh, Lucy's turned the tables on me. <laughs> so yes, I I have a podcast as well called Beer with Nat, and I interview women who work in beer, uh, essentially just to shine a spotlight on all the women working in beer. And that's the thing. People often say that beer is very male-dominated, um, but I think that there are more and more women who are working in the industry, and I just want to make them visible. Because then the more that you see other women working in beer as a woman, you're more likely to feel like, yes, there's a place for me there. Um, I have to say, I have always just felt very confident in knowing what I want to do. And not that I necessarily know where I want to go or where this is going, but the idea that I'm going to work in beer, I want to be an expert. These are the steps I need to follow, which is doing the beer sommelier or doing the Cicerone program. So I think for me, because I was so confident in knowing that I want to pursue beer. You know, I, I changed my whole world mm. at the time in 2015 to say, all right, I've got this great job in New York. I was really enjoying where I was working and what I was doing and, you know, had a full-time role that allowed me to have a great life in New York City to scrap all of that and come work for, you know, seven pounds an hour behind a bar. I think because I had that confidence and I just had this drive and I was following a passion, the challenges were probably the financial side of things and you know if it weren't for my cousins and allowing me to live on their floor for more months than they might have liked uh, before we all got a place together i i don't feel that my gender has held me back because i just know that this is what i want to do and there's no stopping me and so a good follow-on for that is lucy's second question was where do you find the energy where do i find the energy <laughs> well you know this is really funny i need to go back and find it my parents um just moved back to northern ireland from california mm -hmm. so they were in the states for about 20 22 years and uh, i'm really hoping they brought back our old high school yearbooks okay because in my senior year of high school which is, this is such an american thing but you do the sort of superlatives and i won most driven 
Oh, okay, cool. And at the time, I like, and even still now, I don't really know what I'm driven to do, <laughs> mm. but whatever that thing is that I pick, and at the time it was science, and then it was food safety, and now it's beer, like, I just want to know everything I can about it and become the best communicator and the best representative for it. Yeah. So I think for me, it, it is all just passion. Because you, you, you've used the word geek as well, but yeah, I think, I think the official definition of geek is also someone who is deeply passionate about a thing but not just the passion about it they want to understand it and they want to know how it works they want yeah. to pull it apart and go ah that's how this is made this this is that is how this is done yeah i think apparently that is the official definition of what a geek is i like that okay yeah. that that suits me quite well mm. i think and the next part of it for me then is achieving expertise is one thing but i want to be able to share it mm. and then that's where it all comes back to this idea of having one foot in both worlds and being a good communicator yeah so yes i am learning loads about beer that doesn't serve anybody if i can't talk to you about it on in a way that makes sense to you so i'm really working on uh you know doing this video series where i explain how to taste beer like a pro without ever mentioning beer's ingredients mm. so that we can use our everyday flavor experiences of coffee or you know the piece of toast you had for breakfast or the burger you had for lunch how can we find those different flavors in beer so that we're not only talking at, at as if it's to someone who already knows what i know so you've got obviously got the podcast a beer with nat yes um was my key question as someone who also has a podcast was that the original name that's my first name yes actually i just wanted to call something beer with nat and i didn't know what it was going to be oh, you to had be the fair. name you didn't, you didn't know where to put it yet yeah oh, okay. i had the name and an idea for the logo and my cousin who's an architect and designer helped me with the logo but i kind of i have a sketch from many months before i turned it into the podcast so mm. i think from April of 2018, I initially drew something out, and then I launched the podcast in September of that 2018. Interesting, because when I spoke to Lucy at the Dodo, she said she had the logo before she had the name and the actual business. Oh wow! She, she could pitch the logo. Yeah. Um, it was like an old kind of a, a Dodo, an old-fashioned sort of natural history style logo. Yeah. And he said that what I knew I could visually see it. I knew what, what I wanted to have, but I didn't fully know it was going to be the microbrewery or the pub, or it's going to be called the Dodo. Yeah. But she had that logo in her mind. There was something. Yeah. Mm. So I think for me, yeah, I'd always wanted to create something, and I didn't know what it was. And it was on a flight to Belfast to see my parents mm. over Bank Holiday weekend in August of 2018. <laughs> that I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do because I love podcasts. The to be honest, I don't listen to a ton of beer podcasts. I was very into uh, good beer hunting mm -hmm. when I was first getting into beer. And then my podcast listening kind of took a turn to listen into um, more career focused podcasts, particularly focused on women. And what is their career trajectory? What have they learned on the way? Those sorts of things. And I realized that no one was doing that for beer. So mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to do it. And again, not only, you know, for me, it's a careers podcast. It's not a beer podcast. Uh, but of course, most of the listeners are people who are into beer or in the beer world. Um, but it, then it is, it does have that sort of dual purpose about mm. highlighting diversity and inclusion and just showing how many amazing women there are in beer, the different roles available if you want to come work in beer, and then the people to talk to, to then say, if I want to be like her, can I reach out? And all of my guests are willing to, you know, to be contacted and provide advice and support to get to a similar place. And what's been the response you've had so far? Oh, it's been so positive. I actually just released one today uh, with a woman called Jackie Moody McNamara. And she uh, she's Irish. You can tell by the surname. Uh, her parents both uh, owned pubs when she was younger. So she literally grew up in a pub but then eventually worked her way up to be director of operations at Punch Taverns, a big pub co by the age of 32. 
Um, and now she has her own coaching and mentoring business to help other women succeed in hospitality and get to the boardroom. Um, but she felt the same way, that she didn't really find that her gender was holding her back. She mm -hmm. was very driven and had very, um, uh, her mom was super confident, her granny was super confident. So she knew the direction she wanted her career to go. Um, but then when she was talking to other women who were saying, oh, but this is what's holding me back, this is what's holding me back, and she hadn't experienced it, she decided to do some research into what are the challenges and what are the opportunities for women succeeding in the boardroom, in hospitality. And she's just launched this great research report. And after her episode came out today, she called me and just said, you know, thank you for the opportunity. I hope this helps other women in the space and little things like that. Just you realize how powerful it can be to just have and to share these conversations. It is a male-dominated industry, isn't it? So I think the difficult thing is once you... So thinking about beer as a male-dominated industry, it... Once you're in it, mm -hmm. it's easy to, I think, find the other women and feel like, yeah, there's loads of us here. This isn't male-dominated anymore. But when we think about the drinker, there was some great research done by another organization called Deolatis, which said that um, from this, I believe it was a 2018 study that they looked at, it's 50% uh, of men who will consume beer regularly, 17% of women. So the, it's that side of things, the consumption of beer as well, right. that makes it still feel very heavily weighted towards men. So it's like the front line is male-oriented, whereas behind the scenes and the actual, the science, the workings, the, the marketing, the whole industry behind the scenes there are more and more, more women coming into it mm. yeah but i do think the stats on female drinkers are changing a little bit more slowly mm. so some of the things that are holding people back are the concern about calories which is all totally misplaced like mm. it's the alcohol that is then contributing to the the alcohol content is contributing to the amount of calories um beer is often lower in calories than wine is it's just that people tend to drink beer in a higher volume so if you lessen the volume of beer that you're drinking mm. and it's lower alcohol than wine, then therefore you're taking in slightly fewer calories. And then the people see the beer belly. That more has to do with the food that you consume after the yeah. beers that you've had as opposed to the beer itself. Yep. And then there are you know years and years of marketing stereotypes that beer is for men. Most, most big beer businesses know not to do that sort of marketing anymore, but it's still very ingrained culturally. Yeah. You know, it's if we were out together and you ordered a wine and I ordered a beer, they would probably place the beer in front of you yeah. and the wine in front of me. So it's these, yeah, cultural stereotypes that we're up against. Okay. Uh, so what have been some of the hurdles with the podcast? Have you kind of... I think getting started. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was looking back, actually. I have a friend who's looking to start one as well. And... Um, I realize there, there's just so much great information on YouTube. It mm -hmm. is insane the yep. things that you can teach yourself <laughs> for free thanks to the internet um but really understanding so i have a very simple setup i just use a blue yeti mic that's a usb mic that plugs into my laptop and i edit on GarageBand. but understanding like compression settings and oh, even i've even i've gotten i mean this i mean the kit we've got here is a, is a h what is it? it's a h4n zoom with two uh oh good dog. Well, i don't know really studio spare microphones that's what they're that's the setup i've got I don't know anything about compression either <laughs> at all. Yeah, so I just found some numbers from someone else on a blog post mm -hmm. saying, oh, this sounds quite good if you do it like this. So I just copy and paste. <laughs> and that's what I do. Tick so done. yeah, so not necessarily, but being a geek, mm -hmm. I kind of, I want to understand, but then at the same time, I'm like, I'm never going to be an expert in podcast making. It just needs to be good enough to get the content out because for me, it's about the content, not necessarily the production. Yeah. So it, it, I'd rather just 
slap on the numbers someone told me to use from YouTube and run with it. It's an interesting point in the, in the world of podcasting because there are now thousands of podcasts now about, about every single thing. And it almost it's not a, it's not a dying industry already. It's okay. It's still a growing industry, but it's it's a growing industry. And it has to it has to kind of reach a ceiling. I think at some point where you know, everyone's got a podcast, then it's like there's too much content. We we haven't got enough time to listen to all this content, and only a few kind of get through to a, a higher plane of audience. And I think I think that everyone else is kind of just doing it as a as a hobby, as a as it's kind of more for them mm. and a small niche audience. So it's it's a bizarre it is a bizarre industry to be a part of in some way where you're making stuff which you don't might not know they might not reach the people you want it to reach but it's just like it's you do it because you want to do it yeah and you think well no one else is doing this so i'm gonna do this yeah so it's, it's a very weird backwards industry i think yeah that is definitely a thought i had as well where it was just like i would like to listen to content like this and mm. no one else is creating it so sure i'll do it myself yeah. yeah it still amazes me that i can like see my own name on apple podcasts or on spotify like these places where it only used to be music artists yeah. you know and and people whose names you had heard of and so then now these days anybody can create content and put it onto one of these platforms yeah. it still kind of wows me a bit I think that's certainly for other people who are looking to do podcasts. I think the key thing is have an idea that's not been done before. Yep. Uh, and also, don't just do. So many people fall into the trap of they'll do one episode, and then I'll go right. I'll do another. I'll do another one next week, and then they won't. And then it'll be six months, and they haven't done episode two. Yep. And there's so many podcasts out there where it's like two episodes. They've only ever done two. Yeah, I've taken the approach of doing seasons mm, yeah. because it's a lot of work. Yeah. To you know plan the questions find the time to record yeah. do the editing do the final production and make sure the sound levels are right or they it sounds like your previous episode that sort of thing yeah and um yeah i've decided to do 10 episode chunks okay and then that way i can get into it i can commit the time to it and then i can take a little break because yeah. if i had to do it weekly i would certainly burn out because it's on top of trying to run a business yeah and, you know the many other things that i do as and also, well it's something from becoming bored with it as yeah. well so which came first um, a sip of or a beer with nat Beer with Nat. Yeah. Yeah. So Beer with Nat started in uh, August of 2018. And then when I left Duval uh, at the end of May 2019, which was the Belgian brewery I was working for for three and a half years as their UK marketing manager, um, I uh, decided I wanted to do a little bit of video as just sort of a new way to explore talking to people about beer. Yep. So yeah, when I went freelance, then I uh, <laughs> commandeered a chair in the living room and would always this is how this is how poor my uh, setup was i would bring a bookshelf from the bedroom into the living room <laughs> have a set stack of books yeah. that the camera needed to sit on top of use a piece of uh white tack to make sure it sat at the right angle my boyfriend's very into photography so seeing me do this every week like pained him he's like i have tripods why aren't you using them uh, but this i'm stubborn and this was just how i was going to make it work um, so yeah, I wanted to do one minute videos explaining beer styles so that as you're scrolling through Instagram, you can spare a minute to learn something new. But then yes, upon reflection and doing that for six months, I realized that I was using words I didn't want to be using. I, I wasn't talking at the level I wanted to be talking at. So now I'm taking it a step back and I'm going to do slightly longer videos yep. on YouTube that explain how to taste beer, what we mean when, when it comes to appearance and aroma and texture and uh, what beer's ingredients are. Again, for me, I think it's fascinating. Like We understand that cider comes from apples and wine comes from grapes, but what does beer come from? Yeah. 
So I just made a stupid face there. You know, we're on a podcast. No one knows. Um, but I think we're still at that level of trying to explain what beer comes from. Mm -hmm. And so that's now where I want to work so that I can have people start there learn what beer is made from and how those four ingredients influence its flavor, then I can carry on with a sip of and explore different styles once you've got that background knowledge. And will that also kind of, will that then feed back into the Instagram series? Will there be like an Instagram version of it as well? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, will that still be called a sip of? Uh, no, this one's going to be called probably like Beer School with Nat, okay. something like that. So yeah, <laughs> figuring out the name, but Beer with Nat will be in there. Uh, and you have a book as well. And I have a book coming out next yeah. month. Yeah. It's the, uh, the beer, the beer, it's Beer Tasty Evolution in 50 Styles. Yes. Um, so what's the genesis of this? Sure. So I, in my learnings for the Beer Sommelier and the Cicerone studies, I just became really fascinated learning the stories of beer styles and sort of how they evolved. And I think it is probably thinking, being in marketing for so long, it's like the stories that are really what capture people. And so for me, then that's what captured me. I always find it frustrating when someone explains to you what a beer style tastes like. Mm -hmm and expects you to memorize, you know, oh, okay, uh, all pale ales are going to be a little bit bitter, have some caramelly or toasty flavors, uh, and the bitterness should, you know, the hop character should taste a bit like citrus, like grapefruit and pine. I'm like, what? You know, if you're totally new to beer, that's so much to ask someone to memorize. Yeah. Um, but if you can tell them how the style evolved, and tell them the story of its evolution and say, well, it actually came from the English pale ale and American brewers decided that they wanted to put their own spin on it and they used different hops and hops in America contribute these flavors. So that's how the style changed. Then you can actually start to remember it because you've got something interesting. Mm. So it's about giving people the why and not just the what. Yeah, I see. Um, so the book is a taster's guide through the history of beer, and it allows you to explore beer's evolution one sip at a time. So there are so many fascinating books on beer history, but they're mostly all big chunks of text, yeah, yeah. which I think is great once you're already into beer. But <clears throat> my goal is to help bring more people into beer. So each story is just one to two pages at the most. It has a beer to taste so that you can actually bring that section story to life and understand why the beers taste the way they do. And when I'm using the words, you know, grapefruit and toast then you can taste the beer and find them in the beer yeah yeah. Um, and it's told through the lens of beer's ingredients because again for me if people understand what beer is made from then suddenly all the flavors make sense it's the pulling it apart isn't yeah. it again? yeah so we're looking at malted barley and how that has changed over the years based on improvements in science and technology then we look at water and how our understanding of water has changed the water profiles in different countries and cities vary greatly. Uh, so that's what certain beer styles are so tied to certain cities because of the water that was available there. Um, so you'll, you'll learn it all in the book. Uh, <laughs> then uh, we look at hops and how hops have changed. They're only grown in certain countries, but depending on where they grow, different flavors come through. Yep. Uh, and then we've got yeast as well, which is just absolutely fascinating. Our understanding of, you know, brewing with yeast for so many thousands of years and not understanding it to then not fully understanding yeast or being able to isolate yeast until the 1880s. So to think how long brewing had been going on for and it was just this magical substance, uh, magical process to then our scientific understanding and what we can do now with isolating individual strains and uh, you know allowing people to choose a certain ale yeast or a lager yeast or doing mixed fermentation. So it explores all of that and kind of goes into all of the buzzwords of beer, but in a way that will help you have them make sense. And how important is this book to you personally, do you think? 
it still doesn't even feel real. <laughs> so it, uh, I, it's been almost two years in the works, oh, wow. and it comes out next month. Uh, so for now, I'm in this weird phase. It, it comes out three weeks from tomorrow, and uh, it just... Depending when people listen to this, when roughly... So yeah, so it comes out on March 19th. And for me, uh, it, it's just been a project that's been so long in my mind and in the works. It's been nearly two years, as I said, that for other people to then see it, that's going to be the exciting moment. So I have I have my one copy that I've been showing to people, and um, I think I just can't wait f- for other people to see it and hopefully learn something from it and hear their reactions. And also the launch of it is at Mother Kelly's. Yes. Which so is that a bit of like a homecoming thing as well, like a bit of a special kind of. Yeah. This is where I kind of started with stuff, and this is now where I launched the book. Yeah. So we're it's at the bigger <clears throat> venue. I'm hope I want more room for lots which, of people. Which one's that? I know this is, they've got a few. Yes. So it's the Vauxhall location. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I got my start at Mother Kelly's in Bethnal Green, but yes, it will be at Mother Kelly's in Vauxhall, and yeah, it's that whole idea of this is where I got started and dang look what I've done in the last five years you know I've I've found my thing so I just want to be able to express it in all different ways you know whether you find out more about beer through Instagram or podcasts or books or YouTube I kind of want to have something for you in all of those spaces to help bring you into this world and also the cover the cover design is very eye-catching as well yeah it's that kind of flat design with like a bottles and bottle openers just wait till you see the inside the illustrations are amazing <laughs> oh, really? yes awesome. so it's a brilliant illustrator her name's sarah greeno and she was found by the publishing company uh, it's being published by kyle books and yeah they found sarah and it's been really wonderful to communicate with her as well uh, i found the images and said you know this is what a london porter looks like could you create something similar to it and she said she learned loads about beer through the process so that's really exciting for me as well kind of an unintended positive that someone else has learned more about beer and finally what have you learned what have i learned i would say the main thing that i would like to communicate to other people is that anyone can do this And not to say that that's knocking my accomplishments in any way, because it takes a lot of hard work. But with the podcast, it was, you know, I suppose with getting into beer, it was just a hobby. And I just, being a geek, wanted to learn everything I could about it. So there are great resources out there. When you start with those books and you want to be able to hold yourself to a standard, then you take the exams. And it's kind of just a natural progression that once you learn something, you realize what you don't know and you want to learn more. With the podcast, there's so much information on YouTube, as I said, to get yourself started, that if you want to do something, you can. There are resources out there. And then with the book, it was because I had a friend of mine, Jess Dennison, who has two cookbooks out now. I saw Jess write a cookbook and get it published, and I thought, you know, normal people can do that? Mm. I didn't have a way into that world. I didn't know it was possible. So realizing from Jess that if she could do it, I could do it. I want to then pass that message on to other people. Again, I Googled how to write a book proposal. Like everything is on the internet these days. If there's something that you want to make happen, ask the internet, ask other people who have done it before. It's totally possible for you to do all these things too. Nat, thank you very much. Cheers. Oh, that was a good one. That was a good one. (laughs) 